Welcome to the 3D Parent Podcast. My name is Bevan Walters, your host and founder of The 3D Parent. I'm a certified parent coach and have spent the last decade living my calling in life, helping parents navigate the tough stuff like tantrums, sibling conflict, screen time overload, and managing the transition into the teenage years. My purpose is to provide you with the tools you need as a parent to lead with dignity, direction, and deep connection in your family relationships. My goal in creating the 3D Parent Podcast is to inform, empower, and increase confidence in parents so they can trust their instincts and make the best decisions possible for their families. For these reasons, I've rated this podcast FPEO for parents' ears only. Parenting is challenging, but you don't have to do it alone. Hello, and welcome back to the 3D Parent Podcast. Today, I'm going to be talking about a topic very near and dear to my heart, which is parenting the highly sensitive child. So what am I talking about here? High sensitivity, the highly sensitive child. Well, about 15 to 20% of children can be described as highly sensitive. There's a nickname for these children out there in the kind of psychology world, which is orchid children, as opposed to their more less sensitive counterparts, dandelion children. In fact, one of my favorite books on the topic is The Orchid and the Dandelion, written by Thomas Boyce. And oh my gosh, this has such a wealth of information. If you feel like you'd love more information, I highly suggest that you read this book. It is really eye-opening, but there's lots of great information. If you went and did an internet search on orchid child or Um, orchid versus dandelion, you'd find so many articles written on the topic. It's very interesting. So a highly sensitive child. These are children who are more impacted by their senses and their emotions and their environment than the more easygoing dandelion peers. As I said, this is a topic very near and dear to my own heart. As a parent of four children, I have many different varieties of orchids in my own household, from the very rare and exotic, 100% highly sensitive orchid child, to children who are more dandelion-like, but have a few high sensitivities in certain areas of their life. And I'll share some examples as I kind of illustrate a little bit more about what does this look like and how is it to parent a highly sensitive orchid child. So I'm going to dive right into some descriptors. My goal, as you know, in the 3D Parent Podcast is to help you dig a little deeper and make sense of your children. And some behaviors which just kind of baffle parents um, can come from what I'm speaking about today, high sensitivity. I would say, without exaggeration, a good 75% of the clients I work with in my parent coach practice have children that would fit in this category. And there's a reason for that. The dandelion child is pretty easygoing, pretty resilient. You could try, you know, common parenting practices, ones that I discourage, like timeouts and rewards and punishments, and it's going to be fine. This child is going to grow up survive and thrive regardless of kind of different parenting techniques and then there's the children with whom none of those seems things seem to work children who seem more intense and if you have more than one child in your own household you probably know the difference between a child of yours who's more dandelion like more easygoing versus your child who might be more sensitive more orchid like so here are some descriptions of what this orchid child looks like Oftentimes, but not always, they can be shy. And some of this has to do with this um, mechanism built into all children, but really heightened in the highly sensitive to resist 
attachments to resist people um, that they don't know because it's very it's very vulnerable to trust others. So this might even be somebody that you like know. In some cases, it's even been brought to my attention through my my parent coach practice that you sometimes have highly sensitive children that will reject family members, grandparents, ones that they maybe don't see as often. And even though they're grandparents to the child, they don't feel as connected. And so they'll reject their family members, they'll reject um, people in their life whom they don't see often enough to develop a connection with. Um, and this is because they have this difficulty connecting with those whom they don't really trust and they tend to kind of push them away. Um, orchid children, from the time they're infants, they're just more alert than other babies. Sometimes people look at them and they think, oh my gosh, your child looks so wise, wise beyond their years, they're an old soul. This typically is a description that a baby that is a highly sensitive baby might get. Um, other obvious signs of high sensitivity would be really, really highly hypersensitive to things like textures, textures in clothes, things like a tag in a piece of clothing would just drive a highly sensitive child nuts. Food can be very picky eaters because they're so uh, sensitive to the smells, the tastes, and the textures of food. Sounds can really impact the highly sensitive child uh, more so than their peers. When they're in an environment that gets really loud, it gets overwhelming for them. They cover their ears. Sometimes parents that know this about their child, I might even provide them with uh, headphones when they go into loud, crowded environments because it's too much sound for them otherwise. Um, certain smells can be overwhelming. Temperatures, um, being too hot, being too cold, and just not being able to handle that difference of temperature. And of course, environment, environments that are really stimulating where there's a lot going on can be highly, highly overwhelming to the highly sensitive child. A cute little story about this sensitivity to textures. My firstborn child, who very much is an orchid child, very highly sensitive. When she was three years old, um, my husband and I were trying out the concept of the family meeting. And we were sitting down and kind of discussing things going on with our family, upcoming events. And we would kind of make a practice of talking about something that bothered each of us within the family and kind of discuss it as a group. I've discontinued family meetings. I'll get into why in another future podcast. But at the time, it was something we were trying out. And when we were going around and my husband, my daughter and I, my son at the time was just an infant, so he didn't contribute. But when we each went around and kind of shared something that was bothering us, I would share something like, oh gosh, I really want people to be picking up more um, after themselves around the house. And then my husband shared something that was bothering him. Um, and then my daughter, who was three at the time, when he said, you know, what's something that was that's bothering you? And she said, my tags. And we looked at her and we're like, what do you talk, your tags? She's like, yes, my tags on my clothes are a big problem. And it was so adorable that she was able to explain it to us. And of course, I knew this um, going through the process of finding clothing that was not uncomfortable for her was exhausting for me. But then to recognize that this wasn't something she was doing to push my buttons, that it really was hard for her to wear clothing that was uncomfortable. The highly sensitive child, it doesn't sense discomfort the way that a dandelion child does. So it's not like, eh, this is annoying. It, it's like very annoying and even painful to a high sensitive person. So for my daughter, we would kind of work around it. We'd find clothes that didn't have annoying tags or we'd cut them off. We found socks were a big thing for her also. And we found socks that didn't have seams or the seams were um, hidden in places that wouldn't really bother you. And we found clothing that was more comfortable and we kind of were able to find ways to work around 
areas that were really um, annoying to her. You know, she's 15, almost 16 years old. She still is sensitive to it being really hot or being really cold. Sensitivity is not something that just goes away. It's part of who you are. It's one of your attributes. I myself would describe myself as a highly sensitive person. So if you have these attributes, you just learn to work with them and maturity and age and experience and finding ways to kind of adapt when things really set you off or bother you is kind of how we learn to cope in a world that has a lot of stimulation at every turn. Another common attribute of the orchid child is emotional intensity. Sometimes people describe these children as being highly spirited. They have big emotions and their emotions are easily stirred up. A lot of times we'll look at our child and say, gosh, why are they making such a big deal about something that is small? Well, the reality is to a highly sensitive child, the degree and the intensity of how the emotions are stirred up is greatly heightened. So it is more uncomfortable. These emotions are bigger and more profound for the highly sensitive child. Similarly, when we talk about things like emotional regulation and the ability to control your emotional reactions and not just give in to immediate impulses, all young children under the age of five, that's challenging for them. But for the highly sensitive child, it takes even longer to be able to start to regulate and control your impulses. And that has to do with the development of what Dr. Neufeld refers to as integrative functioning. And that's the ability to feel more than one emotion at a time. So the very young child, the toddler, or the less emotionally mature child, including children who fit the description of orchid child, they take longer to be able to regulate their emotions. The young child feels one emotion at a time. When they're mad, they're mad, and you know it. When they're happy, they're happy, and you know it. When they are feeling loving, you know it. But for the the child who doesn't have a good control over their regulations of emotions, you don't have the ability to mix those emotions. And that's the key to being able to regulate and control your behaviors. So when a child feels frustrated and angry and they have an impulse to hit or yell mean words, that can go on a bit longer for the more sensitive child who has more challenge integrating and mixing their feelings. Older child between the ages of five and seven who is dandelion in nature, that child who's more easygoing has the ability between ages five to seven to start being able to mix their emotions, feel more than one emotion at a time. And that makes it easier for them to be able to resist the temptation to act. Your orchid child, your highly sensitive child, that ability doesn't really start kicking in until the ages of between seven to nine, sometimes even as late as 10. So if you have a more highly sensitive child, you have to kind of keep that in mind, that for them, expecting them to be able to control themselves and regulate their emotions with a high degree of, you know, accuracy consistency is something that you're going to have to be a little bit more patient. You're going to have to help your child regulate emotions for a little longer than you would a less sensitive, more dandelion-like child. Another attribute of the orchid child is a child who is more easily startled. A child who is, um, they get really surprised and shocked and you can um, scare them really easily because they get startled really easily. Again, Lots of sensory perceptors are out there for this child, and because of that, they can be more easily scared. Um, Another interesting um, bit of research, and there was a lot about this in The Orchid and the Dandelion, the book I already mentioned, is that the highly sensitive, the orchid child, is more prone to illness. Also, things like asthma and allergies, much more common in an eczema, much more common in a child who fits this description. There is a genetic component to uh, 
orchid children and this high sensitivity. And part of that comes in that into play in terms of being more prone to illness. Also very common is that these orchid children are more heavily impacted by stress, particularly the stress of separation. So when we think of um, the alarm that a child feels when they're separated from their primary attachments, for an orchid child, this is tenfold. It is very, very stressful for an orchid child to be separated from their primary attachments. So they tend to cling because it's very hard for them to feel the solid foundation of attachment that a less intense child would feel. And because of that um, separation being so stressful for them, they have a harder time where you see more evidence of this separation alarm that takes place. Another thing that's a little surprising to relate to this more orchid child is the tendency to want to be more in charge, to take the leave. Neufeld refers to this child as an alpha child who wants to always kind of direct their parents, be in charge. They're the child that kind of runs a household. Um, even though the parents don't want it to be that way, they somehow find themselves tiptoeing around their child because they're so easily stirred and so intense. Parents tend to kind of choose their battles and tiptoe and not set off the bomb of emotions that can come from this type of child and thereby end up with a child who senses that they are in control or should be in control or need to be in control. And that can be highly problematic. Not only is it really frustrating from a parent's perspective, trying to lead a child who is so alpha, so wanting to be in control, but it's exhausting for a child. And the child has a very hard time finding rest and being able to play. They're very busy trying to be in charge and controlling things, which can be really, really difficult. Hey there, parents. Are you tired of feeling like your kids are in charge at home, negotiating, demanding, and generally calling all the shots? Well, then I have a free resource for you called 10 Steps to Get Back in Charge of Your Kids. Just click the link below to download your own copy. Let's get you back in the driver's seat. So another attribute. I focused so far on some of the real challenges that come with an orchid temperament, but there's a lot of gifts. And a lot of us forget about those gifts. When we have a child who's really intense and challenging, we think about the things that we perceive to be negatives because they're really challenging for us as parents. And usually that's just because we don't necessarily know what we're dealing with. When we don't realize that, no, our child actually has a particular temperament and this hasn't been like made uh, clear to us yet, we're still feeling lost. We still don't know how to relate to our child and we don't really understand what makes them tick, particularly if we're not very um, sensitive or highly sensitive ourselves. But there's a lot of gifts that come with this high sensitivity. A lot of us think of this as a highly sensitive child or a highly sensitive person as being highly emotional or irrational, when really high sensitivity is really, like I said, a child who has gifts that come from this high sensitivity, like creativity, a lot of empathy, the ability to be very intuitive and perceptive. High sensitive, highly sensitive people are very verbal. They have, um, like I said, a lot of creativity, the ability to express that verbally or through their writing. They're great critical thinkers and innovators. Again, this perception, their ability to be so perceptive really, really gives way to that. Also, high sensitivity is very closely connected with high intelligence or even gifted um, intelligence. And um, the orchid child is very detail-oriented and has a deep capacity for feeling. So knowing that 
this is actually a gift and just making sense of this temperament can really make the difference. And so now I'm going to move on to talk about how do we help if, if this is sounding like your child, maybe not in every way, but if in some ways this is really connecting with you and you're kind of hearing what sounds like I'm describing your child, orchid children can really grow and thrive and become just such exceptional human beings, but they do take special loving care, much like the flower, an orchid, can bloom and become among the most beautiful of all flowers, but they take a gentle, delicate hand in very specific conditions. So what does a child who meets this description need? Well, first and foremost, it's very helpful to provide an orchid child with an environment, decent amount of structure and predictability. If you tend to be kind of a little bit more fly by the seat of your pants and kind of figure things out as I go. If you have an orchid child, that's very stressful for them. So you need to challenge yourself to create some structures and some predictability in your household, which will help your child who might be more orchid in nature thrive. You need to develop a very deep attachment between yourself and your orchid child. It's essential to develop a deep attachment between yourself and any child. But if you have an orchid child, this is essential that you have this the very front of your mind. And the reason for that is because orchid children really need this, their deepest attachments, their, um, their parents or whoever they're most attached to, to help lead them into territory that is vulnerable for them. So if they're going into an environment that might be really challenging for them because of their sensitivities, if you're there to walk beside them and help them and make them feel comfortable in those environments and say, I know this is tough for you, but I'm here with you to lead you through it, they really, really can take on risks they may otherwise just shut down and not try. You also make it safe. They deep attachment with your orchid child for them to express their emotions, particularly their vulnerable emotions. Children who are very orchid-like, it can be very difficult for them to cry and express their emotions and feel those very, very soft emotions. So your attachment, this connection between you and your child makes it safe to feel those big emotions and have those reactions. I'm um, an example of that, my, uh, my youngest child, who honestly is pretty dandelion-like. She's pretty easygoing. But for a period of time, about a year and a half ago, she had a lot of difficulty feeling sad, um, particularly when she'd been hurt physically. So she's the kind of kid that would trip and fall down and truly hurt herself, but then try desperately not to feel sad about it and cry. So she'd be the kid that you would be like, oh, good job. You're tough. Good job. But I saw this as a sign that there needed to be a little work done to help her feel sad and help her feel safe to cry when she felt sad. What I did not expect, though, was when I would come and pick her up off the ground and say, oh, my gosh, you got hurt. I'm so sorry. And I'm not talking about overreacting when a child trips and falls down and is fine and gets up. That's great. But when you have a child who actually is really hurt and they're so focused on not crying, there's something going on there. They're not wanting to feel that feeling. So in those instances, I would go up to my child and I would give her a hug and I would say in a, like a sweet, empathetic voice, oh my gosh, you just got hurt. I'm so sorry. And that was too much for her. And she would get mad and she would say, don't talk to me in a sad voice that she would get so mad that she would completely shut down emotionally. And what I learned that for her, she was more stimulated by sounds. And when I would talk to her and use that empathetic voice, it was too much for her to handle and she would shut down. And instead of 
feeling sad and comforted and cry, she instead would get angry and she'd turn that anger towards me. And a few times even got aggressive and even like make a fist like she was going to hit me because it was too much for her to handle. So what I learned was that I could pick her up and I could hold her, maybe even rub her back, but not use my voice the way I would with another one of my children who that would be fine. Once I used empathetic voice, the tears would come and they would flow and I could help her feel safe to express her feelings. With this particular child, that was too much for her. Now she can handle it. Now, if she needs to have a cry, if she's sad about something, she can let those emotions flow with me in private, not in public. She still is, you know, pretty guarded about letting those emotions go. But in private, she can come and she can cry and I can be empathetic and use my sad voice, as she used to call it, without her getting angry or triggered. So it was that connection, that deep attachment between myself and my youngest child that allowed her to be able to feel those more vulnerable feelings. And that is really key. Um, I've talked a lot on my podcast about discipline and using so-called gentle discipline, discipline that is empathetic and consistent and not punitive. In particular, you don't want to use things that would be very, very hard for an orca child, like a timeout. And as I said in an earlier podcast, I used to be the timeout queen with my firstborn. It was just what parents were commonly doing. I was encouraged to do in my early years as a parent. And so my firstborn, very orca child, I often had her in timeout because she'd have these huge explosions of outrageous behaviors. I didn't know what else to do with her. And so I'd put her in timeout in her room and close the door. And she spent a lot of time in timeout because she had a lot of big, big feelings and emotions. And what I didn't realize was because she was so highly sensitive, and I didn't know this at the time, but looking back, I realized because she was so highly sensitive, it made it really difficult for her to feel safe, feeling vulnerable emotions. In fact, it was really scary for her. I left her alone with big emotions that she had to deal with on her own. And she didn't get to come out and have my Uh, unconditional love and support until she pulled it together and stuffed those feelings. And as we all know, in the world of child development or psychology, or if you've been to therapy yourself, stuffing your feelings and learning how to numb yourself from feeling big, overwhelming feelings can give rise to all kinds of challenges, including depression, including anxiety. So allowing a child who's highly sensitive to feel safe and supported through the way that you manage them, particularly when it comes to discipline, is really important so that they don't shut down their emotional reactions. In fact, you have to make space for really big emotional reactions if you have an orchid child because they can pull out all the stops when it comes to their emotions and know that that is who they are inside and how they're feeling is what you're seeing. And that helps you be more empathetic as a parent. When you look at a child who's exploding with emotion and rage and anger and frustration and recognize that the way that they're acting is how they're feeling, it helps you feel more empathetic towards them as opposed to annoyed and triggered yourself by these big emotional responses to their feelings. You want to also, with an orca child, anticipate times when an orca child might be more likely to feel stressed. Times like transitions, um, you know, getting ready, leaving the door, getting ready for bed, changes to routine, um, new people coming to their life. Maybe it's a new babysitter or a new friend or a new teacher. And what you need to do in those situations that you anticipate something's going to be challenging to your child is to connect with your child prior to coming into these situations so that you can guide them through the challenges and thereby make them less 
likely to feel overwhelmed by them. So connect with your child, prepare them, let them know what's going on, answer their questions, and then say, I'm going to be here beside you to help you in these situations. Similarly, if your child is going to be in the care of other people besides you, their teachers, maybe someone who's teaching an extracurricular class, help make sense of your ORCID child to those other people in their lives. Give them a quick snapshot. Let them know, my child is pretty highly sensitive and these are things that are really, really hard for um, her to manage and these are really stressful moments for them. And you know, in these situations, if you could try this approach instead, that would really, really help my child feel safe and supported and, not, and less likely to shut down. So make sense of those children and those um, kind of sensitive attributes to those who will be taking care of them or educating them or teaching them. And that can be really, really helpful. If your child is in a situation where they are clearly overwhelmed, you need to go ahead and find ways to kind of remove them from the situations that are too much for them to handle. And sometimes I know this can come with a lot of disappointment for us. For example, there are times when parents um, of highly sensitive children recognize that taking them to kind of big dinner parties or uh, environments, birthday parties, where there's going to be a lot of people and a lot of commotion, a lot of change, and a a lot of lack of predictability is too much child to handle at this time. If that is your child, you're not alone. There's many of us who've had to make these calls from time to time and do the hard thing to stay back, to, you know, opt out of certain activities that might be really fun. And in those cases, provide alternatives. Or you can sometimes say, we'll go, but just for a little while and then leave on a good note. You can um, anticipate, oh, it's going to be really loud. You can bring those sound canceling headphones for your child if that's going to be something that will help them. Um, Another idea, uh, one of my children who's really highly sensitive, she's kind of like my second most orchid-like child, really highly sensitive when it comes to temperature. When she is, and she tends to run hot, so when I'm cold and I've got a sweater on, she's usually in a t-shirt and shorts. She just does not have the same temperature gauge that I do. But uh, if we were about to walk out the door and say, you need to put your coat on, she would throw an absolute fit when she's younger. And now she's fine and she's been able to regulate and knows, well, as soon as I walk out the door, I'll be okay. But when she was very young, that was ridiculous. She was already warm. And now you're asking me to put on a coat because the second she put that on, she'd feel overheated and then she'd have a complete epic meltdown. So we did a workaround. And instead of forcing her into a coat inside where she was already warm, I would say, oh, let's grab the coat. And we'd wait till we were outside and she could transition to a different temperature and feel cold then it made sense. Then she could put her coat on. Then it was fine. So getting into a throwdown inside the house when your child is like, I'm hot. I don't want to wear a coat. Well, if you think of it from their perspective and they don't have a great capacity to deal with discomfort around something like being overheated, know that that is really challenging for your child. They're not just trying to give you a hard time. It is especially hard for these children and figure out a way around it. How can you not make this a battle? How can you provide an alternative solution where the coat gets brought along for when they will inevitably become so cold they're frozen entering into an icicle, but you know, you have to anticipate that and then bring the coat along and provide it that can be helpful. Same thing with light. Sometimes if it's, you know, they're used to a cloudy environment. I live in Seattle. When the sun comes out, oh my gosh, my sensitive kids can barely handle it. They're like vampires. Oh, the sun, it's going to burn my eyes. So anticipate bringing sun hats, bringing sunglasses, things to kind of help shut out some things that can be tough for them. Another thing you want to do is seek out opportunities to let the gifts of your highly sensitive orca child shine. As I said before, this is not 
this negative curse. This is just part of their temperament. It's part of who they are. And like I said before, it comes with a lot of gifts. So when you think of the highly sensitive child being very empathetic, being very creative, being intuitive, being, you know, a visionary, for lack of a better word, find opportunities for them to use those gifts to shine, to be creative, to get involved in the arts. The arts are a great place for the highly sensitive children to really thrive so they can get an opportunity to make music, create music, dance, act, sing, find ways for them to let their deep sensitivities come out and be expressed in a way that feels safe and really takes advantage of the gifts that they have. And then lastly, the last little tidbit I want to put in here, which again comes from some of my own experiences raising orchid children. And I didn't mention that I also have a uh, orchid dog, (laughs) our little puppy, uh, Winnie. She's also highly sensitive. So for some reason we chose this cute little fluffy dog and she turned out to be very easily startled, very highly sensitive and in tune. It makes her a great pet because she just loves on us, but she also gets terrified of strangers to a point where we sometimes have to put her in another room because she's too stressed out. It takes her a while to warm up to strangers. If you make a noise, she jumps off the couch. She gets completely terrified by loud noises and and so on. But anyway, the last little bit I was going to get to was that when you have more than one child and you recognize that one of your children maybe fits the description of an orchid child compared to another one of your kids who's maybe more dandelion-like, more easygoing, a lot of times we as parents feel guilty. We feel like, gosh, this one child is taking so much more of my time and attention than my other child or children. And it makes us feel badly and like we're somehow neglecting the other child, the other children or child who is more dandelion-like in nature. And I want to let you know that you should kind of just take that off of your guilt plate as a parent. Again, like we talked about the plants, the dandelion and the orchid, you do need to spend more time nurturing an orchid plant than you do a dandelion, which will just grow anywhere. As long as it's got a little bit of water and sun, they're going to grow. An orchid takes a more gentle hand, more intentional approach. And the needs are greater because of the sensitivity than your dandelion child. So if you have a child who's more orchid-like, chances are the dandelion child doesn't even recognize the difference. You do because you know you're spending so much more time and attention on your orchid child. But just know that that's not necessarily the perception of your children. If you are do hear from your children who are less intense, less sensitive, oh, you know, you spend so much time with this child, they are communicating to you that they have a need that needs to be addressed. They're wanting to have some more connection time, some more attachment time with you. So you certainly want to address that. But just know that it's not to the degree that you maybe are imagining it is, that you feel like maybe there's this huge um, disparity between the amount of attention that you're giving to one year children over the other. So just know that you're not alone, that orchid children can be huge gifts. I know that parenting orchid children and working with parents of other orchid children has made me a better, more empathetic mother. And I've been able to share a lot of my insights with the clients I work with in my parent coach practice, helping them make sense of their own orchid children and realize the gifts that come with that high sensitivity. Thanks so much for listening today. Thank you so much for tuning in this week to the 3D Parent Podcast. I hope it has provided you with the inspiration you need for building stronger relationships with your children and trusting your instincts when it comes to parenting. 
If you have a parenting question you'd like answered on the podcast, or if you'd like one-on-one parent coaching, head over to the3dparent.com and click the contact tab to send me your question. If today's discussion empowered your parenting, please be sure to subscribe to the show, leave a rating and a review. Also, I'd love to connect with you on social media. So take a screenshot, share it on your Instagram stories and tag me at the3dparent. I look forward to meeting you here again next week on the 3D Parent Podcast.